drop an anvil from a helicopter into the roof. <laughs> it goes through two floors, destroys the floor, and now we're gonna repair a wooden floor. That's a promise to you. I will make it a hit show for you. You will be happy, we'll be on budget, everything will be clean, but most important, it will capture your next big audience. That is a hope, a promise, and smoke. Welcome to ProCo 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This show, like many, features successful entrepreneurs and different from the others. All our guests, like you and I, choose Colorado. Success looks different here. Here, it's multidimensional, and that's why I say live, work, love Colorado. And I'm going to insert this now. After the interview, Jim and I kept talking in the studio. It was a great conversation. So I'm going to release part B. That's what happened in the studio after the interview was formally over. So watch for that next week. Okay, and now on to the interview. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Jim Berger, chairman and co-founder of High Noon Entertainment. And High Noon may be one of the most fascinating companies in Colorado that you haven't heard of yet but you have heard of its products. High Noon is one of America's most prolific production companies. Shows like Fixer Upper, Cake Boss, and Von Miller's Studio 58 on networks including Discovery Channel, HGTV, Food, and Lifetime, even on Facebook. I'll be asking Jim about the production business, about the increasing need to appeal to niche audiences, and about some of the shows they produce, and even how these huge shows are conceptualized and their stars discovered. Jim, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me, Dave. Oh, and we're going to dive in. In fact, one of the things we talked about even beforehand is how you pitch these shows. So we're going to talk mm -hmm. about that too. First, though, thanks to my sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado and MicroStar Keg Logistics. They support Colorado entrepreneurism and they support this show. Thanks also to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco 360. So on to the interview. And Jim, on High Noon Entertainment's website, the company describes itself this way, Emmy-nominated storytellers who specialize in creating unscripted, character-driven programming. We discover unknown breakout characters, create entertaining formats around them. Uh, Jim, start talking about your work and then also about your business. Uh, for, for our business, uh, this business in general, it's all about that. It's all about, it's like this great race to find the next big breakout star, and that's usually a real just human being because yeah. it's reality television. And then more important or as important to create a show around that person. That's what all mm. the producers are trying to do in the US, US and all over the world. Mm. Yeah. And everyone is trying to do the same thing. So it's as you look at these shows that you're producing, like like I think of Fixer Upper and that whole whirlwind of erupted fame around the gains, you know, with Magnolia and all this stuff, right? I mean, did you have a concept of a show or were you looking for the people who could make a show turn into what it became? Uh, we were looking for the people. Really? So we do two things, Dave, in, in our business, because reminder that we produce shows for Home and Garden, Netflix, Facebook, Discovery, and all these others. Some want a format, an idea, uh, that does not require hosts or, or characters, right? That's a formatted show. Mm -hmm. Others, you lead with the people. So we have had a long experience with Home and Garden Television. We've done, we are one of their top producers. We know the kind of shows they want. So we have a full-time casting producer 24-7 looking 
for the next Chip and Joanna Gaines. Mm. So we found the Gaines and their company online, pitched that show. Home and Garden was not ready to go forward. We shot some tape with them. Mm -hmm. Still not ready. We shot more tape, convinced Home and Garden Television to go forward. And that's how we found Chip and Joe. And then once mm. we found them, we came up with a simple format for every show. So, so in other words, you just can't follow them in, in a day or in their life. It gets kind of boring for anything. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have some format so a viewer can watch week to week yeah. and know what to expect. And we knew that they loved making over homes on distressed blocks, for yeah, example. Yeah. So we came up with the idea of let's look at three homes, let's come up with designs for each home in every episode. Mm. But Client it, it, picks one and you do it. But it seems like such a needle in a haystack to be able to find like Chip and Joanna Gaines. Like, no, how do you possibly find that? That is what we do every day of the week. Every two weeks, we have a casting meeting and we look at what all six producers have found. You're just looking for quirky, interesting people well, that <clears throat> could carry it? To a certain extent. So we're looking in categories. We're looking in food, uh -huh. the best new chefs, property. Mm. The newest designers, mm. right? Male, female, and then we direct our casting team. So if the network tells us, "Hey, hey, Jim, we're looking for the next survival mm. show," then mm. we're looking for survivalists. Really? If A and E says we're in the paranormal space right now, huh. we're looking for Ghostbusters. Seriously? Well, these niches seem like they're getting narrower and narrower, and at least in my mind, not not just for television. But in anything in life, like we're becoming so defined by niche, whether it's social media or whatever, niche, 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 they get tighter and tighter and tighter. It almost seems like you're looking for a little niche that then you can exploit to create interest among people that never thought they cared. Is that like, like I don't watch home fix up shows unless there's a personality that I find captivating. Mm -hmm. So is that part of this formula? It certainly is. So you start with a cake boss, for example. Yeah. I mean, that's baking. Yeah. But, I don't care about baking, but I, yeah. But that show was like a sitcom. I mean, mm -hmm. Buddy Velasco and his family, the relationships between his brother-in-laws, his sisters, his mama, yeah. his friends. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you could almost cast that as a sitcom. And oh, by the way, they're baking huh. every day. Yeah. So Chip and Joanna Gaines, same thing. They're in love with each other. They have a family. The property is just a part of it. Mm -hmm. So if you look at mm -hmm. every single one of these shows that work, they're human relationship-based. Any reality show you pick, mm. whether it's Naked and Afraid, Survivor, The Apprentice, American Idol, it, the list goes on. It's all yeah. about human beings and mm. how we can relate to them. Mm. If what you're doing is so e effective at engaging an audience that never thought they cared, like, I don't care about baking. I don't care about gardening. I don't care about water parks. And I don't care about all these other things, uh, prospecting right? That, that you create shows about. I don't care about any of those things. And yet here you are creating something that engages me. And I wonder, are there parallels in business, you know, as, as we talk about customers and things like that? I don't know. Well, what's interesting about that is, I, I don't know if this exactly is on target, but we start developing from, the, from just human emotion. So mm. if you look at the shows you just mentioned, mm -hmm. Prospectors, which was the mining show set in the mountains of Colorado, is all about the lust for, it's greed, mm. making money, mm. right? 
Cake Boss's family, Fixer Upper is family and home, what makes mm. it home. So you're going into what's emotional. Mm. Uh, and so can you create an app, a brand? If you look at the most successful apps, they mm. fulfill something inside you. Mm. They just do. Continuing down this pathway of sort of what drives my curiosity around niche and this what almost is a confoundingly smaller and smaller segmentation of niche. I was looking at your website and saw Von Miller Studio 58, and he's producing, you know, uh, a show that really is just fun and it's only designed for social. Are you seeing that more and more? Yes, we are. So I think the bigger dynamic is you're seeing the new buyers in the marketplace, new platforms, which is is creating a huge fraction in the marketplace. Yeah. So you've started with broadcast television 25 years ago was at its zenith. Three networks, you chose one of three. Correct. Then you have cable and that became the threat. And at first it wasn't a threat. Nobody cared about Discovery Channel 24 years ago. It was a tiny little thing. Then cable jumps in and now... You have the streamers, they call them. These are people that, these are digital platforms that stream Netflix, Amazon, mm-hmm. Hulu. Yeah. These are new, exciting platforms yeah. that do not rely on advertising. Well, that was a question I wanted to ask you because do you have to, on those other networks you mentioned that are advertising driven, do you have to create content to please advertisers? Essentially, you are these mechanisms for conveying ads versus when you produce for Netflix or other pay for service? Do the content drivers change? No, from the producing side of it, all we care about is creating a hit driven show. Mm. We want to capture the largest audience we can. I don't care where it is. Yeah. From the other side, the other side, now they're doing the thinking and looking. So mm-hmm. for example, Home and Garden Television is really wants to hit men and women 25 to 54, uh, right? Yeah. Those are advertisers. Yeah. Whereas Netflix wants to drive from their current 200 million subscribers worldwide to 300 million. Mm-hmm. Ma, same thing. Our Chip and Joanna Gaines and Fixer Upper has to has to capture audience, but we the, the two different platforms each concerned about their own audiences. Yeah. Well, and I'll remind listeners that this is Proco 360s Pro Business Colorado. I'm your host Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs and business leaders who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Jim Berger of High Noon Entertainment, and I'm interested in this notion of streamers versus, you know, maybe cable TV channels. But it it sounds like then if if like Home and Garden or whomever wants to address a particular demographic, they may say, "Yeah, we need a garden show." that appeals to this age, right? Is that as far as the conceptualizing goes for you? And then it's your job to find the stars and a hit that appeals to that demographic? Uh, well, what happens is we do, we work each one of the networks, the cable networks, the broadcast networks, even the streamers. Each one has what we'll call a target demo. Mm-hmm. Female, ideally 38 are male 18 to 25. We start with who they're trying to hit, right? And then what we do is we go into categories where we Mm. think attracts that demo. For example, Oxygen, Bravo, Lifetime, TLC. Those four all go after females, but each one goes after a different kind of female. Mm. 
Oxygen to Bravo would be younger and on either coast. TLC mm. and Lifetime would be older and the heartland. Mm. So when we come up with a concept, if it's a wedding show, it might be a different sort of a pitch for Oxygen than it would be for TLC. And different kind of stars too. Different kind of stars. Yeah, so yeah. we look at female-driven concepts, relationships, weddings hmm. versus men. Men are easier to program to in a certain way. Well, we're simple-minded. We're simple-minded, <laughs> it's true. And if you think about it, there are only a few channels that skew male. Discovery, history, hmm. Nacio. Wow. That's it. I didn't know that. On the cable side, yeah. there are probably 25 sure. that skew female. Wow, really? What about all the sports channels and all well, that? I'm getting off track, but- No, that's okay. Sports too, ESPN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But- the advertisers, if you want, if you're an advertiser and you want to sell men's products, mm -hmm. you don't have that many places to go to. Wow! So it's much more challenging then for to appeal to women. It is. Um, most of the advertisers don't care about men; they want to reach women because mm. women, females, make yeah. the decisions normally in a household. They're I the ones that was buying. Old school. No, they're the they're, wow. females are buying, and they're usually making decisions with the remote. What? Very good. Hey, the, well, you mentioned a couple of times pitching a show, mm -hmm. and. Think of an example of a show that you recently pitched that you think is a really, you know, sort of a good example of like how your business works. I have really good, strong relationships with network presidents after all these years working with them. Yeah. And I knew that uh, in the home and garden space, the network was looking for a new way to do home improvement, uh, home repair, a new way to do home repair. They couldn't quite figure it out. So... Uh, I called the head of the network and I said, I have an idea. Are you ready? How about in every episode, we repair something at a home, but in order to do that, we destroy it first. Huh. And I said, for example, we drop an anvil from a helicopter into the roof. <laughs> it goes through two floors, destroys the floor, and now we're going to repair a wooden floor. So it has some dramatic entrance to this concept whatever yeah correct how funny and she bought the show on the phone wow i said we'll call it disaster house hmm. and then i gave her a list of all the different things that could be done to this home <laughs> driving tractors into the side of it all and huh. she loved it bought it on the phone and we and we did three seasons of disaster house wow and it went great it did really well. So, but that until we nothing, ran out of ideas. Well, you had to have a personality though to drive it, right? So then, in that case, the concept came first, and then you shopped for the personality. Correct. Now that would have been a format, which is basically destroy homes to repair them. Yep. And then we'll find a host. Don't you worry about it. And we did. We found a great host. Well, I would think if once you have a concept, it's actually easier to find a host. Is that right or wrong? It's right. Yeah. Because um, right. you know what you're looking for. You can. Yeah, they're out there when you know what you're looking for. Correct. Yeah. Oh, one note on pitching. Sure, go for it. So, so in this business, you're really not pitching something that's tactile. They can't touch it. They can't mm -hmm. hold it. They can't demo it. Yeah. They, they can't, they can't, it's not sure, a product. Sure. Yeah, but don't these people know what they're talking about? I mean, when you pitch something, when you, I, that must be a temptation to just say, here's my idea, isn't it great? We've worked together. Don't you see what I'm seeing? But they're not. Correct. I mean, what you're pitching in television, what you're pitching is I call it smoke. Mm -hmm. It's hope and promise. That's all. Yeah. It's me saying to you, Dave, think about this. What about that? Mm -hmm. And what if we could do 
this. That's a promise to you. I will make it a hit show for you. You will be happy. We'll be on budget. Everything will be clean. But most important, it will capture your next big audience. That is a hope, a promise, and smoke. There's nothing. The only thing I can show you is what we call a sizzle, which might be two minutes of tape. That's I've I've already shot that Mm -hmm. to give you an idea of what the show is. But it's like a movie trailer. That's it. There's nothing else. Your own expense, right? Correct. So what's it? What do you have to put in to make a good pitch? What's that going to cost you to make a decent pitch? We spend well over a million dollars a year on our development budget, and that would encompass, gosh, 80 to 100 pitches. Wow. And that's everything from shooting, editing, legal. We have to lock up our talent. We can't, we have to get all the legal agreements. Yeah, in that's place. right. Once, once you get. Once you get a new concept and somebody says, yeah, I'm going to be your star for Disaster House, right? You don't want to have to pay them six times as much year two and then another 10 times in year three, right? So you lock all that up. Well, and even even before that, if I want to do a show on your show right now, I need you to be exclusive to me while I pitch it for mm, six months. Mm, mm. In the business, there are too many producers that don't do this and they're all talking to the same people. Wow. What if you're talking to another producer? And suddenly, I pitch the show, but the other producer's attorney calls me and says, "No, uh, he's talking to me." Oh wow, wow! There are so there are so many lazy wow. business things going on in the business. That's why you see all these lawsuits. Well, is it getting at some point? You know, how do you come up with new new stuff? I mean, hasn't every baking show, every cooking show? And it seems like you can almost you know put a competition around anything and turn it into a show. Is that, I mean, where are you going with this? No, I mean, it's, it should be on my tombstone. I should have thought of that. <laughs> I, every day I read the trades and I see an idea of a new show being announced. Yeah. And I either think, crap, I should have thought of that. Mm-hmm. Or crap, I did pitch that, but that was three years ago. Uh, Times have changed and somebody else is back out with it. But now mm-hmm. they've attached a celebrity Good for them, bad for me. Yeah, yeah. So it is every single day you are Mm. under pressure to sell a show. Because here's what's different. I don't know if it's different about other industries, but let me say, this is what, my industry, there's no safety net. So we don't have long-term contracts. The network, if a network buys a show, they will buy the pilot. That's it. Really? And if the pilot does well, they'll trigger one season. That's it. Wow. Not six. And so- most of these pilots don't go. You only start making money when you get into sep- new season, mm. season two, season three. Wow. Until then, it's break even. And if you don't get out there, and if you don't sell show after show, 10 months from now, lights are out at mm. high noon. So you're really not, you don't make money your first year of a, of a show? No. Mm-mm. So do you get to charge more? Is that just sort of given in year two and beyond? You get to raise nope. your price? No. no. So mm-hmm. how do you make money? Well, you it's a scale business. So for producers who just do one show or two shows, it's mm-hmm. extremely difficult to make a living. Because if you and I had our production company and we had two shows we we're making, yeah. we'd be so busy making the shows. Uh, we couldn't get new business. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But if you have scale, so we have 16 productions going on right now. Wow. So when you're in above 10 productions, that's when you can start to make money, scale money. Right, and these seasons now continue, but your development—you're spending that million. Remember over here, yeah, yeah. 
and we have 20 to 25 pilots all the time. So for, for me and for listeners, what does the business look like? You're starting to sort of paint that picture, but you've got 16 productions going on at one time. Are they all over the world? Are you bringing things back to your studio in Denver, outside of Denver? Or I know you've got another studio in LA, but are you bringing all of that back to do ed- editing here and so forth? How does that, that work? Correct. So <clears throat> we, we made a decision three years ago to bring everything back to Denver, primarily. And the, every, by everything, I mean the, the conceptualizing of the shows, pre-producing the shows, editing the shows. We shoot all over the country and the world. Yeah. So we, I don't think we shoot anything in Colorado right now, at the moment. Mm-hmm. We, we, brought, we brought all the edit back here and all the prep and the, and the development here because uh, you know we just want to be closer to it. Yeah. We want to be closer to it. But- uh, that's how our business works. We have great people in Colorado. We have people moving into mm-hmm. Colorado yeah. from New York and LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can get the kind of talent you really could only get in LA or other places before? Correct. Yeah. So I'm always, as I was preparing, I'm like, okay, what concepts did you come up with that you were convinced were going to work and just bomb? And what's the other, what are, what are, you know, the other side of it too, what, what were you really dubious about and took off? Sure. Um, I would say Aisha, Aisha Curry's homemade, which is Stephen Curry's wife. Mm-hmm. She's an amazing talent, mm. great chef. Uh, we shot a cooking show with her in California for two seasons just last year. It didn't work on Food Network. And mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I think I, I, I've, I've tried to figure out why that didn't work on food. Maybe it, she's not really... A, a professional chef is she well she's not but she's written several cookbooks oh, yeah i think maybe it's the food network audience was maybe a little too old mm. skewed older mm. she's mm-hmm. quite young very active on social media mm-hmm. but it just didn't connect so that was one you, uh, you expected it to be big oh yeah and it didn't it just didn't yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that would have been an example uh there was a there was a funny uh, show we did in Branson, Missouri, about a taxi company. Hmm. It was like a sitcom. It yeah. was like the real life Cheers, or no, the real life Taxi. Yeah, yeah. Real life Taxi set in Branson, Missouri. Oh, these characters that were driving these cabs and dispatching the cabs. It was it, a sit. It was cast like a sitcom, but it was on a smaller channel called Reels Channel. R e e l z. And that audience, once again didn't connect with the show. It was one season wow. and out. Too bad. It so sounds I, like. Was it great? I loved it. I wow. thought it was great. And then we have other series that because the regime changes, the shows go away. That's mm. the other mm. issue in the business. And you'll yeah. see that in scripted, non-movies. The president of a channel will be around. When the president is leaved and replaced, a new mm. person comes in. They come in as they should with their own new yeah, slate of yeah, programming, yeah. their own things yeah. they need to do. So they cancel yeah. a whole bunch of shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen many of our shows cancel because oh. of that. That's too bad in some ways, I suppose. So when you when you think too about some of the crazy things that happen out in the field when you're actually producing, um, I mean, it seems all glamorous and all fun to be making these shows. What are some things that happen out there really specifically that happen out in the field that you're like, wow, this is the real world that we deal with? Yeah, well, there was a show in Aspen, Colorado that 
uh, nine years ago called Secrets of Aspen. Mm. And this is a funny story because I just got married last summer to a woman who is a longtime Aspenite. And was she in the show? Uh, she was yeah. not in the show. <laughs> But she and all of her friends had, of course, heard of the show. They didn't yeah. like the show because nine years ago, I did a show for VH1 called Secrets of Aspen. Yeah. And it was like a little bit of shaking hands with the devil. VH1 at that time was into high drama, high conflict, yeah. almost producing scripted style shows. But in reality, yeah. and I, uh, they, they, they called me and said, we want to do a show in Aspen and we want you to look into it and- Originally, it was supposed to be Cougars of Aspen, so we sent oh, a team no. up there. And I said, "Nah, this is really not Cougars, but it could be just people living up there, all the different archetypes of characters, yeah. you know, some wealthy people, some people working. Well, we, we put a cast together, and guess what? Uh, the network didn't like the cast. Hmm. So we had to go back again and again. And finally, I had to cast it in L.A. and New York, Really? And bring in one or two people to add to the cast of eight or nine real people Wow! to create almost a scripted show, which I got to say, I wasn't super proud of Yeah. Huh. because it was it back then, nine years ago. Yeah. You kind of manufactured a little more than you do today. Today's mm. reality television isn't quite the same as it was then. Really? Oh yeah. Is it, has it, is it more, do you think it's more whatever quotes around it real? Yeah. It is. And, and so that's, that, that's a, I get that question all the time, right? As a producer, yeah. it's much more real. So does it take more talent and more thought to create something real than something fabricated and scripted? Yes. I would think it's harder. It is because, look, here's the bottom line though. With, with it doesn't, any show a reality producer does has restrictions. You have to, so if I go and promise you the network that I'm going to do any show, it's got to be done in five shooting days, mm. and it's got to be turned around in four weeks, and it's got to be on the air. Mm. It's got to be on a certain budget. So these stories, you're a journalist, these stories need to have a beginning, middle, and end. Every, every half hour or hour needs to wrap up. Well, you'd have to do it in five contiguous days. Mm. So you, of course, have to structure the shoot and that you do the setup, things are going to happen, you wrap it up. Now, yeah. you're not faking it. You're not telling people what to do. But certainly, you are hoping for re resolution. Yeah. yeah. Now, we shoot a lot of our shows over six months. So whether it's prospectors, the miners in Colorado, sure, or sure. even home renovation, that doesn't happen in five days. Yeah. We will shoot multiple episodes over six months. So in like a disaster house, you might... You might create problems, six different problems, and shoot the resolution of all of them at once. Yeah, or a, a home show. So mm -hmm. we do five home renovation yeah. shows right renovation, now. Renovation, right? sure, sure. We will bat shoot four at a time over two months, huh. but stuff happens. So, so we're not faking it. Yeah, but we're certainly under pressure sure. to wrap the show and move it in. Well, moving for moving, I guess to the front end of all this, as you conceptualize a show. Are you also involved in the in the marketing, like thinking conceptually, is this a marketable show? Because it's one thing to be good, but you also have to drive traffic to watch it, right? So is that part of the format as you design and pitch? Um, yes, but in the following way. The, the primary marketing we do is when we conceptualize a show, I encourage our team, we, we think about what will the poster look like? Huh. And sometimes we'll take a picture of our talent 
and have a cut line and a title and like even a fake when it premieres that mm -hmm. we will pitch to the network yeah. so they can see it and go, and I'll say, this could be on your homepage of your website. Mm -hmm. And there it is right there. So, but we don't get involved in any of the tactics and the strategy of how to market it. Yeah. Each platform has their own divisions to do that. Got it. Do you, I guess as we've talked about all this, first of all, I, a question you can answer or not, but what is, what's a typical budget per show? And I know it ranges. I know it's going to range, but I mean, roughly. Um, it, that's a good question. So the budgets can go from, I would say, for, to, from a cable network. Yeah. Uh, a a mid-sized cable network might be anywhere from 250000 per half hour. Wow. And they're ordering anywhere from 6 to 10 mm -hmm. to... Uh, more expensive shows on a cable network might be 500,000 per episode uh, to a million per episode. Uh, now the broadcast wow. networks, the big shiny floor shows, yeah, yeah, we call yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, th those are like big circus tents. Those are yeah. like, you know, America's Got Talent, American Idol. Those yeah. are big shows. Yeah. Those could be 2 million an episode. Wow. You got to sell a lot of ads. Not you, but it's amazing to me. That, that there's yeah. still that many ads being sold um, when there's the opposite. There's the streamers out there. But I, I guess, yeah. Well, think about this, though. If you're running ABC or CBS or NBC, um, reality television is a pretty cost-efficient buy for your advertisers because you, you, you don't want to do that? Then you go buy This Is Us at $5 million an yeah, episode. Yeah, $5 million, $2 yeah. million. Wow. That's and huh. you're getting the same impressions, the same mm -hmm. let's say female twenty five to fifty yeah. year olds that are going to watch, you know. So yeah, yeah. Fixer Upper, yeah. when at its zenith, was coming in the top five of all television huh. weekly. Yeah, that is a super cost effective deal for sure. the for the network. Well, in sort of moving towards the closure of our conversation. Um, Last question about production. I mean, what what do you think people understand the least that they really should sort of get about your business? It's the Wild West. It's high risk. And it's all about the hustle. Well, in your world, you've been at it. You go to parties. You talk to people. Oh, I think I know what you you're know, saying. Yeah. What, what are people most curious about? I can tell you, Julie, my new wife, has said to me many times, wow, I had no idea it was so complicated and such a process mm -hmm. to get from an idea to being on the air. Yeah. yeah, She finds that fascinating. It's much, much more complicated than, hey, I'm going to roll some tape and edit a show for you. Yeah. Hey, how did High Noon end up in Colorado or begin, you really started in Colorado. How did that happen? So myself and my three partners 25 years ago, Worked for KUSA TV. We all worked in the news department. We burned out on the news department. Yeah. We left, moved into production. I always loved Colorado. I always wanted to live here. I didn't want to leave. Yeah. So. But you wanted to start a production company. I so, wanted to start. Yeah, a, I yeah. had to start a production company because I didn't have a job. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. I lost my job. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to move to LA or New York. So I decided... I will stay in Colorado and pitch shows from here. I was lucky enough to get mm. one and I yeah. was able to build more. Boy, isn't that, I, that really is people, a lot of times we talk about how do you start a business and how do you, and, and so often it's like you start it with one customer and you just start, right? 
Yes, and I've had friends uh, friends say, hey, how much capital do I need to raise to do my idea? And I always say, well, number one, if you don't need to borrow any money, yeah, yeah. don't. Yeah. Just what you said, build it on one. Get a customer. And yeah. I tell them, stay focused on creating new business. Don't be the person that sits yeah. in the office and creates the business you already have. Look out, otherwise, lights out. Well, and it sounds like ultimately, you know, content, continues to be the driver for your business, continues to be the driver in all kinds of media. What trends are you seeing that are making you think, wow, I'm going to have to go that direction versus where you're going now? Anything? In terms of the kinds of content? Um, I mean, ultimately it's about engaging an audience. And so, yeah, what it's going to take to engage. I mean, I, I still go back to, you know, seeing that crazy show Von Miller produces for Facebook where he, he had his hand up the butt of an elephant. I mean, he's doing goofy stuff. Is that what it's going to take to get an, I don't know, but where do you, what do you think? I will say the bar is higher and higher every day. You Well, that doesn't sound like a high bar, what I just described. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but engaging an audience is harder and harder, I think. It is. I mean, the, the Nielsen measures these shows moment to moment. They will tell you second to second when you're losing audience, when you're gaining audience. But I don't know. It, I think it's actually more positive than you say. I would think 10 years ago, five years ago, television, reality television was darker. It was mm. creepy. It was a manipulative, huh. faking things, yeah. over the top, silly. Now it's not so much. You you are seeing much more of a open. So as a producer, I can make home shows, food shows, survival shows. Honest? I think so, because yeah. you know why? The viewers, it's not the producers, it's the viewers. Yeah. The viewers are more discerning, they're smart, they're literate, yeah. they're not going to buy fakey stuff. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. just not. They're not well, going to do it. That's encouraging. Um, yeah. I heard about an interview with Jeff Bezos where somebody, somebody was asking about what's changing and what he sees is changing, kind of the question I asked you. And he said, you know, that's the wrong question. The question to be asking is what's not going to change in the next 10 years. And he mm. said, you know, we can build a business over what's not going to change. People don't want things slower, more expensive, and with less less variety, right? They want the opposite. So in your world, as you look at the entertainment world, as you look at viewers, what do you think's not going to change? Yeah, no, I can tell you. Great story and relatable people. If you look back 500 years... Great storytellers were doing that. In 500 years from today, you will have content, no, regardless of how it's consumed, content on a home, on how to prepare food, on relationships, on surviving, on, on trying to make a million dollars. That's going to be around on, on talented people out there. That's going to be around for centuries. The difference is who are the producers that are smart enough, created enough to find new ways to tell it and through new human beings that will capture an audience and stay within pop culture? That's the hard part. But those basic things are never going to change. Wow. So what's the last question for you? What's the story you haven't told yet that you're looking forward to doing? Mm. Mm. So many. Ugh. So many stories. And which one are you like, this is the one that I'm keeping in my back pocket. I'm not going to put it out on this <laughs> interview. You know, but, I don't I don't have that. Yeah. I would say this. If you had said to me, Jim, what hit are you most proud of? I would say I haven't done it yet. 
Really? Mm-mm. Wow. Mm-mm. There's always one more out mm. there, or at least the quest for one. That's cool. Well, I think that's a good place to end our interview. I'm going to wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and today I'm Proco 360's Pro Business Colorado. You've been listening to my conversation with Jim Berger, chairman and co-founder of High Noon Entertainment. Jim, thanks a lot. It's been fun. Thank you, buddy. And listeners, thanks for joining us on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you, I, and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, MicroStar Keg Logistics, Community Banks of Colorado, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. And thanks to show engineer Mike here at Third and James Studios. That's the show, Live, Work, Love, Colorado.